see me, I've been an officer For 17 years it was popular when I started up Kids wanted to be us, but now I'm watching them Offer up middle fingers when we pull up You would think I was harming them But we still come when they call us up Put my life on the line Every night I'm behind this badge And I ride through your hood to prevent the crime that's inside You want justice and peace And that's what we try to provide But when we tried, you picked the criminal side every time Until it's one of mine That's like the only time you comply But any other time You look me in my eye and you lie You only want accountability when it's me But other times you lie to keep your dealers and killers free You act like we the ones causing chaos in the streets Like if we leave the killing to cease And it'll be sweet But we both know that that ain't the truth Imagine protecting those that hated you Well, I guess in your own way you do I just feel misunderstood And if you could take a minute just to see it my way And even if we just agree to disagree At least you see why I'm thinking this way I got a family at the crib I'm just trying to make it home tonight We just out here trying to live, man I gotta make it home tonight What's up y'all, my name is Zach Gilbert And welcome to 34 Jet Radio Last episode we discussed policing in minority communities and the public's varying reactions in the form of protests such as Black Lives Matter and then the counter protests to that All Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter. We had a great conversation so if you missed it, make sure you go check it out. But today we have a very special guest with us. He is from right here in Hamilton County and he is one of our very own officers, Chief Sean Shepard of Hamilton County Sheriff's Office. So if you please introduce yourself. Well, hello. How are you, Zach? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing great <clears throat> this evening. Looking forward to our conversation. And, uh, yes, yeah, so my name is Sean Shepard. Uh, I do certainly uh, hold the rank of Deputy Chief uh, with the Sheriff's Office. I recently promoted back in February this year and uh, been given the task of uh, leading our, uh, our corrections division. Actually, where uh, my career actually started with the sheriff's office 31 years ago. Uh, I, when I first started into this in this career path, I did it as a volunteer basis. Uh, Explorers, with a, which is a scout organization for career uh, exploration. And so at my teen years, where I was with a, uh, as an explorer scout, and I started my employment with the sheriff's office at age 20. And so, uh, and I've now about to be 52 years old. So I've spent 31 years uh, of my adult life working and serving in this community at the sheriff's office in a wide variety of different positions. That's a lot of commitment. <laughs> Hard thing ahead. Really Hard thing yes, ahead that long. <clears throat> but today in your current position, what does your day-to-day routine look like in your department? You know, my day-to-day routine now is uh, it, it's... Uh, I, I used to thought I, I, I met a lot. And, and it's, when you move up in your career, you go from uh, field work to, uh, to administrative work to, and, and as you move up in rank. And uh, I thought I attended a lot of meetings, but uh, now there's a lot of decision making that has to go on. And uh, and when you, you look at the impact it has on on our, our, our inmates, that those are there for pretrial and those are serving time or waiting, you know, waiting things, decisions being made by courts, but also. Uh, our employees, and then you look at that, your impact on the community itself. I uh, really was amazed by the, the number of t- people who are looking for the to spend some time with you around the conference table or, or on a Zoom meeting. And I spent a lot of time, in fact, today, just today alone, 
started off my day at eight o'clock this morning and I attended three different meetings before the day was out. Wow. Wow. Oh, wow. So but there's I, never a dull moment. Never a dull moment, Zach. I can tell you that. Even 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 around a mm, conference room. Mm. So I know you probably tuned into some of our previous episodes and we've kind of talked about the negative impacts of policing in minority communities. Like what are your thoughts on situations such as this? Like what do you hear when you hear things such as Black Lives Matter or um defund the police and stuff like that? Right. Uh, you know, I, I think the first part you asked me about, you know, the, the negative impacts mm. of policing on, on minority communities first. I, I, and, I, and I think that, one, I, what I hear from, from folks are they're wanting to be heard. My career, it, I, one of the things I've done in my uh, sheriff's office career has been that I've a, I was a hostage negotiator. And then I even was the team leader for that. And I did that for about 17 years. And um, it's more about listening than it is talking. And, uh, and one of the things that we've often found when people are in a crisis is that they just want to be heard and no one's listening. So we spend a lot of our time listening to those who are in a crisis moment when their normal, uh, everyday coping skills and mechanisms have uh, no longer can, um, can actually sustain what it is that they're experiencing. And so when you say that, you know, and you hear the things that are going on in our community, whether it's through media or through just some conversations that you have at a, at the table, like when I met with your dad and you hear those things, what I hear is people wanting to be heard and, and, and not waiting to being in a conversation or where people are just waiting to speak. And so um, I think you have to be in tune and you have to, uh, to understand that perspective, but how that leads into like the, you know, the black lives matter and, uh, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, as you mentioned. You know, um, certainly, first and foremost, um, I, ha- I have Christian beliefs. Uh, I- I'm, I'm a, I'm a born again Christian, and uh, and and if I believe in those things, then I have to put others before myself. And as a result of that, I certainly um, support the movement. But in like in anything, just just as there's been negative circumstances and situations throughout history, but even in most recent times where law enforcement decisions or actions have created a, a negative situation in, in, in the, our communities, especially in the minority communities, uh, sometimes the actions of those folks who believe strongly in the movement um, can bring a negative light to it as well. So I would say as the movement and the cause itself, I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a great thing because it means that people aren't just going to sit by and let things happen. You know, so I, I like action. I'm a proactive person. I don't like to be reactive. Um, my entire career has been centered around being a proactive policing. In other words, to, as you know, at my school resource background has been where we want to help young people make good, solid decisions and be good decision makers. Understand there's more than just one or two options to them. And, um, and we want to get involved in, in folks making good decisions before they get in trouble versus, you know, as a reaction after they've done something. So I think that um, it's a good idea. Sometimes methodologies don't always match. And so sometimes law enforcement gets put in a place where they're torn between um, doing upholding the law as it is prescribed. It, it, we're, we're, we're like a duty to do an oath to do and also understanding and, and sympathizing you know, or at least empathizing certainly with what it is, the message that someone has. 
So you're talking about how you kind of supported the movement and how the decisions of other officers have affected your work field. Well, no, you didn't talk about that, but you talked about how it affected minority communities. Mm-hmm. So how has that, all that affected your personal work field and how you go about your job? You know, I, the, the the conversation that I'd had um, is about perspective, and it's put a lot of things come to mind. And I, and I, and now, especially as an administrator and the, the chief administrator of a correction facility, where the unfortunate thing is that the majority of our incarcerated folks are very young men, and, and no matter what race or social economic background they bear, our mean average uh, incarceration age is, is twenty to twenty one years of uh, old, and that's just that's a that's a sad state. To, for our folks to be in our from our community, but even as mankind is is, is concerned, and so, um, so how it's affected ours is it's, it's decision making. You know, as I like to make discerning decisions. I'm an informed decisions person. Uh, one of my new captains that recently was promoted um, sometimes gets frustrated. Hey, I, you know, just make a decision. You know, I was like, listen, decisions made in haste often turn out not to be nearly as effective as decisions that you make when you're you know as an informed and you have all the information that you need to make and so you got to take into consideration that and you got to hear folks out and so um i spend time when i go into the unit there at the, at the correction facility and, and i talk to inmates and I, I listen to them and it's amazing how when they hear they, they find someone that's actually willing to listen and, and come back to them. That's the big pieces. I'm going to listen to them, writing down their concerns, but then coming back to them or sending messages back to them through through other staff members that um, what the results are. Um, it has made a big difference, not only for myself, but it's a sphere of influence over the over the officers. I explain to them that our number one goal is to keep the inmates safe and also keep them inside until one of two things: they get released, you know, through the court's decision. Or they move on to another facility. We, we take care of them. We make sure they get to court on time. We make sure that they get fed. We make sure that they get medicated if they're, or see the doctor if they need one. And we try to make, and above all that, we try to make certain that they, keep, they, they stay safe. And, uh, and so I, I think that you're, the two, two best tools a person could ever have is your mind and your mouth. I mean, it has nothing to do with equipment. It has nothing to do with uh, technology. It's your mind and your mouth. How you use it, you know, is 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 very important. You know, it could be used for good. It could be used for bad. So you talked about how through the movement you've been more open to talking to inmates and stuff like that. Have maybe your colleagues felt maybe more pressure or fear because you know that more people are watching or judging you through this new movement? You know, I don't know that the uh, if there's it's a fearfulness. I, I do know that um, officers that have worked under my command have been sometimes more apprehensive a little bit or hesitant to take action when their own safety sometimes has been in place, and that's that's very unfortunate. Um, not because someone was watching, but because they were they were might be concerned about what the uh, response might be, and uh, and. If you if you fall back on if it, it already boils down to the individual themselves that person if you know, if they're trained well you, you selected the right person and you have them in the right mind frame you know and they and they're trained and they're and they're professional in their behavior and they know what to do in an emergency situations there shouldn't be a hesitation but I think that that there's been you know some some of that has happened I think that um, 
well, I was one of the first people in our agency to actually explore using body cameras, even before um, incidents like, uh, you know, that we've had in the past, like the Michael Brown case and some of those that were instrumental in law enforcement uh, being equipped with them. As, ex- as, a, as a supervisor for our school resource officers, we actually uh, were doing some testing evaluation of body cameras even back before that. Because, you know, um, I just I realized that we're in, in, a, in a society where people want to see that. And, it, and it's unfortunate that uh, that we sometimes were there. But as a patro- young patrol officer, I bought my own video camera and had it in my patrol car before our department even bought cameras for our cars. Just so I would have that as evidence so that people could almost be in the moment themselves and see it real time. Because sometimes you just have a difficult time explaining that. So I don't know that officers are apprehensive about the video part of it and people watching them. Um, I do know you kind of said something about, you know, the judgment part. And so I do think that that causes, you know, fear or apprehension because of being second guessed about decisions they made in the moment. So I think that's very real. So if you, my bad. So you said that officers, if they're trained right and they have enough mental equipment to handle the situation, they shouldn't hesitate. Do you think the training is accurate? I mean, adequate to handle these situations without hesitation? Um, you know, I do. I've, I've, over my thirty-one years, I've been in some very dangerous situations, Zach, and and I've had, and and when I've looked back at them. There were moments where I don't even recall making a conscious decision to like pull a particular tool off my belt, whether it's a handgun or handcuffs or pepper spray or whatever it may be. It was a very volatile situation because you almost it was almost a natural reaction when it comes to training. But I think training goes beyond just that type of thing. When I say training, I think that we always got to make sure that we um, I'm more about education. You know, and uh, and as as well, um, I, I graduated from UTC with a bachelor's of science degree in criminal justice. I, I, I like to look look for new learning opportunities. I think that you know when it when it comes to training, as far as uh, specialized schools and looking at new things, I believe at the moment you decide you're going to stop learning that you've learned enough, I think that's time to hang up hang up the badge and 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 and, and retire because. Uh, uh, wish, if you're going to be in there, you got to stay relevant and you have to stay up to speed on what's going on, whether it's in technology, whether it's whether it's in expectations from our community. I think that we do education wise as far as having discussions and open dialogue. Uh, it's a, it's an amazing thing. And you have to help young young folks sometimes or young officers realize um, there's an expectation. And one of the discussions we had with your dad was that, uh, you know, regardless of of what. I may think that I would do or feel like I would do in a situation. Uh, I don't know what it's like to be in his position sometimes. And so uh, I have to have to think about that. And I had a, a young officer. I wanted to share this. I had a young officer that um, he school resource officer worked at one of our inner city schools here in Chattanooga. And, you know, he uh, it, in the heat of, of the BLM movement and the, and the protests and things, he kind of made a monologue and shared with the staff of the school. And he made a comment that said that he was, uh, you know, that, that no one, that the kids there had nothing to fear, you know, and, um, and that's his perspective. But we have to remember that everyone has their own perspective. 
And so I think that we have to make sure that we, we, we always talk to folks and we understand where they're coming from. So, yeah, education and training um, is a premium, I think, that mm-hmm. in order for us to do that. And because, you know, when you I think overall what we're looking at here is prejudice. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so prejudice isn't a, is a it's, it's a learned behavior. <clears throat> It's, it's an, in a, but it's on an individual basis. And so it's a, and it's a decision. You, you know, you have to make that. It's not unlike even Christianity. You, um, my children can't have the same, can't have my relationship, you know, with, 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 with the Lord. They have to have their own. And so I, all I can do is, but the sphere of influence is there. I, and I think about my mom, my mom, uh, never learned to swim. And she has a, a, a morbid fear of water. She um, and she's been in pools, swimming pools. We've tried to get her to. She won't lift her feet off the floor of a swimming pool, and uh, it just, just she, she just panics. And you can see the fear in her face, you know. And um, but that fear it wasn't her own experience. It was her. My grandmother had a very uh, close encounter with where she nearly uh, died, nearly drowned when she was uh, young, and so she never learned to swim, and she displaced that onto her children. And both my mom and her, her uh, one of her sisters never learned. They they developed the same <clears throat> fear of swimming and, and of water that their mom did, and never had their own personal experience with that. And so uh, I, I say that to say that, uh, you know, it we have to make good decisions based on on uh, our views and and how we how we're going to be on an individual level. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. In so, our own experience. <clears throat> It's kind of sum up what you're say, saying. Training is not only the physical program, but also your personal experiences and personal encounters with different inmates or different encounters or police stops. Absolutely. It goes back to the, it's recruitment, too. You know, you think about it. Um, is what, what, kind of, what kind of officers do we want to have? What's our philosophy? If, if, what's our approach to law enforcement? Is it truly to serve the community? And then what's the expectations of the community? And if we don't hear them out and hear, and hear what their concerns are, and we, only, if we can't decide for the community what, what, they, what they need, we have to hear their needs and then try to meet them. That's service, in my opinion. And that's, that's, that's the approach I've tried as, a, as, a, as an officer you know, on patrol, but also in schools, and now at the, at the jail, is what are the needs of the people that we serve on a daily basis? Mm. So, after doing some research on not only Hamilton County, but Chattanooga as a whole, Chattanooga's um, police force has a kind of a checkered history of failed police encounters dating back all the way to the 1970s. What are your uh-huh. thoughts on that? Do you know anything more about that that you can enlighten enlighten us about? Uh, can you kind of elaborate <clears throat> on what you say a checkered? You you call it a, a, a checkered history. What what is that? I mean, what 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 do you mean by that? I mean, kind of. I think it was about sixty fatal encounters with pol- Chattanooga police documented uh-huh. since the nineteen seventies. Okay. Okay. So I don't uh, know if. And, you- and I'm familiar with some, you know, obviously I'm not nearly as familiar with those, um, you know, prior to uh, in the in the 70s and in the, in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, obviously we were in a very different time 
you know, when it comes to that, you know, we're on the on the heels of uh, civil rights movement from the 60s and and and, and policing model itself was changing quite a bit, you know, out of expectations uh, from from society as a whole. But I think that, um, you know, the 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 officer Bob shootings that I'm familiar with, um, I know at the end of the investigation, when all the information was gathered, I don't personally know anyone where they were, were where it was a situation where, although it was horribly unfortunate, I don't know of any of them where an officer was found um, to be wrong. That's not to say that there hasn't been. Mm. I'm just not aware of those. You know? But I do know that any time that happens, I think that you, you can't just say automatically assume that, oh, well, the officer was right. I think you have to genuinely and independently look into each and every one of those. And I strongly support that, um, you know, to make sure that all aspects of, of that situation and that encounter, you know, are looked at and made sure that, that, that it was what led up to that sequence of events that for that to take place and happen. Was there an alternative and, and could have gone either way? And was it a decision that was made on the person that was shot or was it the person that did the shooting? All those things kind of come into, into place. Mm. Yeah, I just I didn't get a chance to really research deep into all the fatal encounters, but I just wanted to bring it up to you, see if you could give us any more information on those. Right, yeah. right. Uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sure that there has been. I'm just not really familiar with any of those early on. Yeah. Uh, I do know some of the ones that you know have happened in more recent times, <clears throat> and you know, and there and there are instances that have taken place that. I, I don't think you could find an officer anywhere that would support, you know, when the, when the findings were that the officer was wrong in that situation, I believe that you'll find across the board that all officers would feel like, feel that that and support that, um, you know, that, you know, at least the officers that I'm familiar with. And, and I had, they have the opportunity to meet officers from across the country. I've, you know, I, I teach school resource officers and how to be, or officers how to be at school resource officers in places in California and Colorado. I've taught in, Missouri and, 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 and other places as well. And I think that would be a consensus anywhere, you know, at least in the United States, that that's a, uh, it's a you know, when, when officers are wrong, I think you find that, that people feel the same way, even law enforcement officers. Mm. So worse, <clears throat> personally being a police officer, what are some myths you can put to rest or some things people don't know about police before they go around saying starting protests what are some things people should know well i think one of the myths i think is that sometimes that uh, i think there's a misnomer about how policing goes you know, officers don't spend their entire day going around and enforcing the law you know i mean they don't you know they uh it we spend a lot of time especially the sheriff's office our job is uh, also a, a civil side of, to that we 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 spend a lot of time mediating conflicts uh, or even disputes, you know, with people like that. But um, I kind of equate it to a, a term, I call it dynamic inactivity. Uh, we, we work 12-hour shifts on, on, on our, our, our patrol teams, and um, you spend a lot of time just waiting for something to happen. They can, you know what I mean? And so it's, uh, <clears throat> it, it could be, you know, I, you, you see a TV show, you know, like uh, Cops or something like that, then and uh, then they'll spill 30 minutes or an hour of just officers doing things over and over again. But when the TV show has been here in our community, um, they've been here for six to nine months 
in order to just to get six 30 minute episodes. Mm. You know, so I think that's a myth and a misnomer that that officers are just out roaming and patrolling and dealing with those kind of things on, on a constant. It's a they spend a lot of time report writing and, and uh, just, you know, it's a, it's a dynamic inactivity. We can go yeah. from doing nothing at all to one radio call of just sheer terror and panic in a, in a chaotic situation, like a, like a severe traffic crash or, or uh, a, a child that's in some kind of a medical, you know, emergency or any number of things. And so it, it's a very stressful job when it comes to that. It, it's, it's, it can be emotionally and, and mentally draining as well. Hmm. So my next question is very broad, but in your opinion, were some key things that police can do to improve just as a whole? Uh, I think it kind of goes back back to the what we, we mentioned before about the, the training piece of it and being a, a strong listeners, uh, developing skills as far as dealing with people in crisis. Um, it's like mental health problems. You know, uh, arrest is not always a solution when I train school resource officers to understand that arrest is our last resort. Sometimes the situations are, are they dictate differently to us when we have to do it in the immediate. Sometimes it may be a process, but, um, you know, I, I, we, we should never just be that our go-to thing. So I think that we have to do those. I think our de-escalation skills, you know, sh- you know should be improved and how we manage crisis and how we manage situ- you know situations and talking to people, you know, and um, I think that we <clears throat> should should look at opportunities for um, learning more and spending more time with, 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 with folks in our community, listening more with and having conversations. I think that would improve. I think how we, I think how we recruit our agency has changed drastically over the last five to 10 years, just how we even go through the hiring process. We, we go through a weed out process, if you will, on, and there's such a wide variety we do um, you know, background checks as far as they're, they're, if they've ever been involved in any kind of criminal activity before. There's an interview. There's a physical agility piece. There's a psychological exam. It's a written exam, but also an interview with a with a psychologist. You know, we also go through a medical background, and so we go through a very lengthy process trying to identify the best candidates that we possibly can, and. Uh, there was a time when I first started, we didn't do any of that. We filled out an application. You went down, you might've had a, a maybe a, a five, 10 minute interview, or if you knew somebody they say, Hey, I know this, this young man, Sean Shepard, he's, you know, he's a good guy, you know, thing else. Right, okay. We'll, 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 we'll put him on the force and you got a job. Mm-hmm. And so I think we've come a really long way already when you look at it from that perspective. And I think that, um, I don't think that just an educated person, as far as like a college degree, should be a requirement. But I think that it helps. I think it gives. I think people who who are, are educated mindset uh, are critical thinkers. I think you got to have critical thinking skills, and I think you, you know, we got to find folks that that can meet the needs of of our society. You know, you look at commercialization, right? You look at TV. Uh, they they constantly change and see what it is that society um, is, 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 is wanted, right? They look at what, what, what's, what a new fad, if you will. I guess I'll kind of equate that to the same thing with us is we have to see what society wants and how they want us <clears throat> to be you know, trained and how they want us to, um, how they want us to perform our duties. 
and be willing and open-minded to uh, to adjust that. Mm. So I think that will help us dramatically. You know what I mean? I think it really yeah. would. So if you turn to <clears throat> tuned into my neck in my first episode, talking about the history and the negative uproot of police. So if it, <clears throat> if as a society we want to move past that, what are some steps we can take to do that? Yeah, you know, I actually learned something interesting about that when you. you I'm a criminal justice major, and mm-hmm. uh, you, you were spot on on some of those uh, those points. I'm a history buff too, and so I really look at that. I study a lot of things, and but I think there's a there's a lot that we can learn from our past in order for us to to move to look to the future, and not recreate the same type of issues. You know, um, there's. I'm one of those kind of people that uh, I'm being told that if I, uh, the, the best way for me to learn is something to happen to me. Uh, you know, it's, it's I, I really, I get that. So, because I'm, I'm a visual and I'm a kinesthetic learner, I, I either got to, either got to show me how to do something or better yet, let me do it myself. And you kind of just walk over my shoulder for me to really get it. You can tell me all day and it just doesn't really register. And so, um, I'll, I'll flip that over to that as far as looking at you know back in time. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing when you look at how law enforcement kind of people kind of incorporated in the the, 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 the slave chasers, you know, kind of incorporate into a new career field, if you will. But after the after the Civil War. But if you really look back at law enforcement, it started in England, formalized law enforcement under Sir Robert Peel. Uh, that's why they called their officers over there Bobby's. Uh, and the law enforcement organized and having policies and procedures that go all the way back over into 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 Europe. There, that was that concept was brought over to the United States and having organized police forces. But there are those negative connotations and things that have been kind of kind of crept into it. But I think that has to do more on the individual basis. When you look at you asked about myths. When you when you look at officers on an individual basis. I think that you you will find that it really boils down to the individual themselves on their own personal views, their own personal personal morals and values. And so, if if we do a really good job at selection, we can kind of move away from that negative mindset. It can't be a place. Law enforcement can no longer be a place where it's acceptable for someone like that to kind of come in and dictate how law enforcement is going to respond and serve their community. Again, it's not a, it's, it's a selfless versus a selfish mindset. That's what we've mm-hmm. got to establish in order to move from that. So we can't forget or black out history and not for, and forget about what it was. We got to make sure we learn from it and apply that to our, you know, moving forward. Mm. So I know you've heard the defund the police chance. And mm-hmm. as I discussed with, um, Mr. Quasi Davis, that yeah, Quasi Drake. I'm sorry, I always say Quasi <laughs> Davis, but we when we say defund the police, we mean refund them into more profitable sources such as more affordable ha- housing or more mental health services. So, what are your <clears throat> what are your thoughts on that in putting more funds into Preventing crime before it happens, because I know before in the what we talked about before, you said that by preventing crime, we should get into school with resource officers. 
by mm-hmm. that I, helps yeah. prevent crime before it happens. So, what are some other methods to that that you think? Well, I you know I don't think that we we will ever change from a society that has to have a form of law enforcement present. Um, it's sort of like a lock. The concept mm-hmm. of a lock keeps an honest person honest. A dishonest person is going to break the lock if they really want what's behind the, the, the door, you know. And so, um, you know, you, when you look at and we had this conversation uh, again around the, at, the, at the dinner table that time when I met your dad and, and uh, is that just the mere sight sometimes of a, of a law enforcement officer just driving, pulling up behind you at a red light can uh, can create a level of fear that I can't imagine. I, I, I don't know what that's like. I can't be in, in, in from that perspective, but I can from my own. And, and it even makes you may be surprised by this, but it even makes me nervous if an officer that pulls up behind me because I, you know, if I, and we're driving in the road, the first instinctive thing I do is I look at this pedometer. I'm not speeding him. I didn't run that light. Did I, you know, I start going doing a checklist. Um, we live in a mindset, a, a world where as a society, there's a difference between what we, our perception of what's right and what's wrong. And then laws are built around that when there's a consensus that we think that as a consensus, we all decide that, this particular act or action is going to be deemed as wrong or this particular act would be deemed as right. And there's got to be someone there to kind of, kind of monitor and do a check and balance though. There would never be enough law enforcement officers to keep everybody, everybody in in doing, keeping them from speeding or breaking some sort of law. Um, But the, but, but the threat of that, right, the, the, the idea that that could happen to you, you hope that that keeps people consciously thinking about it. And, and when it comes to funding, um, a strange thing for me is this um, affordability. I, I can afford to live in a lot of a wide variety of places in our community. And I, I, I live in a low income uh, apartment complex. And I served there as their courtesy officer. And a courtesy officer basically goes through those walks and checks the property, make sure everything's okay. Some places that have a pool, they'll check and make sure the pool's closed and everyone's cleared it. They'll, they'll, they'll check the office doors and they'll respond to loud noises or if there's loud music after a quiet time, those kind of things. And so um, it sort of kind of happened by accident that I, that I moved in with a friend of mine and um, he moved on and got another place to, to, to live. And I decided to stay, uh, my servant mindset, my servant heart, I'm an access service person. And, um, so I, I really enjoy the people there. They're, they're just fantastic. And, and, but one of the things that happened one day, I was leaving to go run some errands and, uh, and I, and I, because I've my school resource background, I tend to gravitate toward the kids. And I talk to a lot of the kids interact, throw the ball around with them, do a lot of different things in the community. And these two young, uh, young, young males, um, uh, African-American young males that one is was six, is six years old, one is seven. And, uh, they always speak. I speak to them and I, I stopped and rolled down the window and I was like, Hey fellas, what are you guys doing? And they were just sitting on the curb. And they're just like, in a typical answer of little kids, nothing. I'm doing nothing. Okay, well, and they, so they come to the window and they start talking. And and one of them says to me, says, you know, I'm afraid of police. Mm. And I said, well, what do you mean you're afraid of police? 
and they say, yeah, they, you know, policemen scare me. I said, well, you, 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 do I scare you? No. So you're not scared of me? No. But you know I'm a policeman? Yeah. So you're, if you're not afraid of me, why are you afraid of police? I don't know. And so I thought, wow. Again, here's another one of those moments who made a, uh, from, from a child uh, perspective, is he's afraid of police. And why is he afraid of police? Is it something that he's seen? Is it something he's experienced himself? Is it something he's heard that he just should? But the, the other young man, which really saddens me, and this is why I still do what I do, um, he asked me to take him to jail. And I said, why would I want to take you to jail? And he said, so I can see my dad. I mean, that's like you, that's like a, just a ton of bricks fell on my head. His, you know, he 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 feared police that didn't know why. That want his friend, but the other young man wasn't afraid of jail because he wanted to see his dad. And so, do we have a lot of work to do in our society in our community? Absolutely, I think it's done not across the board. I don't think that we can. No amount of training, no matter funding, we could channel funds. There is so much funding available in those areas you've already mentioned: mental health, affordable housing, uh, providing you know coverage for insurance, um, meeting the needs, the basic needs of of, the, of their community uh, through nonprofit organizations, through through grants from the federal government and the state governments, um, programming homeless and you know for uh, shelters and providing you know medical treatment through the health department for those and food and shelter for them and there's so many options out there because we live in a society who wants to help others I, but where the difference is going to be made is one person at a time one person at a time of giving them something new to think about a new perspective to consider um, whether it's a law enforcement officer whether it's a six-year-old little boy who who's now confused he's because uh, i'm sure he's thinking hey he's right i'm afraid of police but i don't know why but i'm not afraid of him and he's a policeman how, how do you explain that to him you know and so um i think it's building relationships not just uh with with our community it's building relationships with each other and again as i mentioned at the very beginning of this listening you know and 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 just trying to do something as far as what's your motivation? Are you a selfless individual and you want to serve and make a difference in people's lives, no matter who they are? And, or do you want to be selfish and just go out there and, and do things you know that you want? And that doesn't really matter what job you're in. You know, you, you're going to, you're going to have those issues, you know? So I'm always learning. I'm 51, almost 52 years old and I still learn today. And that's what I mean by education and, and you know, and, 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 and learning perspectives and everything else. And I know how I treat people. I know how, I, and I treat them how I want to be treated. That's not to say that, you know, I've always done everything perfect. No one's, no one's perfect. But um, I challenge young people every day, whether they're, uh, whether it's kids in the schools, little boys in my, uh, and girls in my neighborhood, or whether it's uh, officers that work for me, you know, Anybody I can, if I have a sphere of influence on them, I try to impart that on them to, to leave them with a little more than they than they showed up with. Mm. And so I think that that's the only way we're going to make a difference in the future and not make the same mistakes we have in the past. So overall, this whole podcast, what I've really heard you say 
is communication. Just overall being better communicators and talking to each other and understanding each other's perspective. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. You know, uh, prejudice means basically prejudging, right? Prejudging the situation or the person or the circumstance based on something else. A concept, you know, that's a concept, whether it's race or it's, it's ethnicity, whether it's socioeconomic background, whatever it is that, 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 that you're predisposed to do, you're automatically making a decision. Um, maybe that's why I feel like I, I've been a successful resource officer, maybe even a successful in my career. Um, you know, you, you think about acts of violence, right? And, and we and we hear about the tragic situations that happen uh, in, a, in a fleeting moment when an encounter between a law enforcement officer and a, and a citizen. But the reality is I've only discharged my farm once in the line of duty, and that was to because there was a deer that was had been injured. And... Uh, you know, and and, uh, and and it was it was it was dying. Most officers, the vast majority, high percentage, will go through their entire career and never ever draw their hol- their weapon out of their holster without being you know without other than being on the range. But that doesn't overshadow just one person, you know, in a situation when it comes to you know, a loss of life. And so we, and no matter what happens, so. It, We've got to make sure that we communicate. Like you said, that's absolutely spot on. I think that, and this listening, and talking, and sharing with each other, and learning from people's perspectives and experiences, and and don't just be just decide already based on anything other than information. Make your decisions on inf- information. Um, you can't go wrong with that. Mm. You know, I mean, the only wrong yeah. decision at that point then is making no decision. Well, I think we've had a great conversation, and, I mean, we've started that line of communication between two people to give different perspectives. So, I mean, thanks for being here with me today, Mr. Shepard, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. I appreciate you inviting me, and I, and I, <clears throat> and I, and I, love, uh, I love what you're doing, and you just keep it up, okay? Thank you. All right, Zach. Thanks. And thanks, listeners, for tuning in. Next episode, we'll cap off this amazing five-part series on policing and minority communities. We will be summing up the different perspectives that we've gathered, and together we will find a solution to all these faults that we've covered. This is Zach Gilbert, and thanks for tuning in to 34 Jet Radio. If I could get a minute to talk to you, maybe offer some insight or bounce a couple things off of you. It's a disconnect. I feel like you get a check to disrespect. To me, my fit is fresh. I guess to you, my image is a threat. Maybe I remind you of some sucker that you busted once. Or maybe you've been at it for so long that you're becoming numb. You uphold the law, but tell me what's that to mean to me? When once upon a time, that law punished me for being me. Yeah, you got your good cops and bad cops, but if the good cop don't check the bad cop to me you broke black ops you covering for that cop so why should i believe you you living by the same no snitching rules that we do now who's protecting evil or does that not apply to you maybe you different maybe i should stop profiling you you judging me i'm judging you my color black your color blue guess now you know how it feels to be judged by your color too i just feel misunderstood and if you could take a minute just to see in my way 
disagree to disagree, at least you see what I'm thinking this way. I got a family in the crib, I'm just trying to make it home tonight. We decided trying to live.